0: Welcome to the community-supported Best of the Left podcast, with clips today from The Young Turks, Tom Hartman, Mother Jones Radio, and The Sam Cedar Show.
1: First, we'd like to start this holy day with a reminder and a greeting to all our Muslim fans and listeners. Happy Eid
2: al-Fatir to you. I think it's Mary uh, Eid (laughs) al-Fatir. What else? Eid al-Fatir. Eid al-Fatir. It's Mary Eid al-Fatir.
1: Yes, well. So we'd like to celebrate by playing a traditional Muslim song. (laughs) Wait,
3: Uh,
2: did I I get the wrong one? No, I love a Muslim wedding. Yeah, they, they when put they pick up on the, the chairs and right, yeah. and then
1: they slam them down and right. and then somebody explodes the s- bomb. They
2: stone the horror.
1: <laughs> do you know? I found that, uh over the weekend that in the Bible, Deuteronomy, mm-hmm. if I'm pronouncing that correctly, you are. Uh, if you find out that your wife uh, turns out not to be a virgin, mm-hmm. what you do is this is interesting. You and this is literal. I mean, it, you, whether you think it's true or not true, or you take it literally or not, that's up to you, of course. But it's a uh, passage in the Bible. You take her to your uh, to her father's house, and uh, there, right on the steps of her father's house, of course, you stone her to death.
2: Oh, it's sort of at her father's house.
1: Yes. So Ben, I, I you're married. I don't want to. I don't want to know. But if that was the situation, you would be within your biblical rights to stone your wife to death in front of her father's house. I know. I'm the bad guy. We're not supposed to say anything about religion. We love the religious. I know. Don't want to offend. Don't want to offend. I'm just telling you what's in the Bible. If you love it,
2: you love it. If you hate it, you hate it. It's up to you. I'm not saying anything. Look, I'm getting something off of what I was trying to look that up to to, just so I could read along with you. Mm Um but I found something else that claims to be from Deuteronomy. I don't know. It's on the internet, so it's probably just totally made up. But there's part, apparently, in Deuteronomy, maybe 22, 9, but I, I could be reading. Look, I'm probably wrong. The, the
1: one I just got is from
2: Deuteronomy 22 as okay, well. Okay, so, but there's also a man is not to marry his father's wife.
1: Well,. See, that's logical. All yeah. of a sudden, we're Bible's right back in the ballgame. <laughs> yeah,
2: exactly, yeah. You think it's way out there with the stoning, and then they come in with something that makes complete sense. <laughs> I wouldn't. Your father's... What? Your mom. <laughs> oh, your mom. Yeah, your, oh, mom, see, okay. I, yeah, your father's <laughs> wife is uh, also known as your mom. <laughs> okay. That's... I didn't realize we needed a rule. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, look, do? they want to be clear.
2: They yeah. want to clarify. Understand? Oh, but if you live in a world where you where you stone your your, your wife, if she turns out, not that she cheated on you but that she had, she slept with another man prior uh, to being with you, uh, maybe you need those rules. By because the way, maybe you're like, well, I stole my wife and followed that rule. Listen, can I go uh, Can I go uh, have sex with my mom? No, yeah. oh, no, nope, here it is. Nope, okay, all right, that's out. <laughs>
1: okay, I know we're very bad thank for God telling I, you what's I, actually in the Bible. God I wrote,
2: oh. wrote that down.
1: Yeah, I know we're terrible liberals, and it's going to so offend you, whoever you are out there, that you're going to go and rush for a Republican because the Republican won't tell you. What's
2: in the Bible? See, there's also stuff like if you see your brother's ox or sheep straying, don't ignore it. Be sure to take it back to him. Again, very reasonable. Yeah,
1: We're great. also telling you that's in the Bible, yeah. and it's a very reasonable
2: rule. Uh, if you see your brother's a donkey or ox falling on the road, don't ignore it. Help him uh, Help uh, him get it to its feet. And people wonder why uh, people love the Bible. That's yeah. why they love the Bible.
1: I, I mean, if you see a stray ox, you got to help a brother out. Quite literally, I think that's where they got it from, helping a brother out.
2: A woman must not wear men's clothing, uh, nor a man wear women's clothing, for the Lord your God detests anyone who does this. Oh,
1: really? <laughs> so you're not big on the trannies.
2: <laughs> the Lord not big on the T.S.'s. Yeah. Is it T.S., tra- transvestite? It uh, depends. It's all, all in it. all in play, I'm sure.
1: Uh-huh. <laughs> so I guess the Lord despised J. Edgar Hoover, the head oh. of the FBI.
2: Well, by the way, I think that's probably true. <laughs> yeah, that, but, yeah.
1: yeah. Once again, the Bible read. Yeah. All right, anyway, so... Uh, all kidding aside, uh, happy Eid al-Fatir to everybody. Uh, I'm uh, Muslim by birth, so uh, this is what I'm supposed to call my parents. And, of course, I'm a terrible Muslim, as you might have gathered already. Uh, so they called me to give me a little heads up. Hey, by the way, you know, tomorrow's a big holiday. It's like the Christmas for for Christians, of course, for Muslims, obviously. And, uh, of course, in Iraq they celebrated by killing 44 people.
4: the director of the documentary Red State. Michael Shea is on the line with us, redstatethemovie.com, the website. Hey, Michael, welcome to the Tom Hartman Program.
3: Thanks, Tom. Glad to be here.
4: Great to have you with us. Tell us about this movie, Red State.
3: Well, it was inspired by the 2004 presidential election. I was, uh, like I'm sure many of your listeners, quite depressed after the election. And for a while I was angry at, the, at those Red State people. Um, but then I started to realize that that was arrogant and ignorant of me and that, that I should really just go out and, and and meet some and talk to people about why they voted for George Bush. So I grabbed a couple camera crews and left my home in Venice Beach, California, and uh, set out and traveled through 22 red states, uh, traveling 10,000 miles, and did a couple hundred interviews.
4: And what did you learn?
3: Well, um, I had I had gone with the intention of trying to find some common ground and to try to understand um, the, the, another point of view. And
4: did you did you present yourself, Michael Shea, when when you encountered people that you were going to video? Did you say, "Hi, I'm a liberal. Uh, what do we have in common or not in common?" Or did you just, you know, I mean, did did they, did they know what your politics were when you were interviewing them?
3: A- absolutely, I, I I did introduce myself as a liberal. Um, but you know, the the tone of the interviews was more conversational. I, I, I'm I'm in the film, talking with people, so I would mm-hmm. sit down with people in their homes or at their place of business or on street corners, and and just talk with them. And yes, I was very upfront with with my politics. Um, although I don't do a lot of arguing, I mostly tried to listen and and, and let their point of view get some, um, I guess, exposure. Sure. Um, so
4: so their point of view, brought, by and large, is what.
3: Well. One of the interesting aspects of the, of the experience was that I, I, was, I wanted to talk a lot about the war, um, and, and they didn't want to talk about that. For the most part, these folks wanted to talk about two things, uh, gay marriage and abortion. Um, and their, you know, their perspectives on those, I guess, would be what you might think. Um, but,
4: and that's but, the sum total in their mind of the serious issues facing America.
3: Well, yes, you know, morality are, 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 the, are, are definitely the issues. I mean, I spoke with one family in Arkansas who, in the first part of the interview, when you see the film, you'd think that they were Democrats. They're ranting about Walmart and corporations and their influence on our lives. And, and yet then the, the conversation shifts to abortion and, um, and gay marriage, and they are rabid, partisan, uh, right-wing Republicans.
4: Um, Did you have an opportunity to ask any of these folks who talk about how, in their mind, abortion is immoral and gay marriage is immoral, what about the morality of the Bible? What about the morality of feeding feeding the hungry, providing homes for the homeless, healing the sick, visiting those in prison? What, what about the fundamental morality that Jesus lays out in the Sermon on the Mount and in Matthew 25 that the prophets of the Old Testament of Judaism talk about, that, that are, you know, that's found in every major religion, that being the historic moral framework of this country?
3: I, I, I did indeed ask people about, about that Jesus, you know, that, that being my conception of Jesus, as, as well as many other people's. And, and you know, they, would, they would go to the Old Testament. Um I asked one one a gentleman in, in uh, North Carolina why you know we'd see these what would Jesus do bumper stickers well why um you know would Jesus have invaded Iraq and he immediately went to um justifying the war uh, that the bible does justify war and you know and on I mean, and on
4: but but Jesus never once spoke about abortion and never once spoke about gay marriage or that, gay anything
3: that, that is certainly true, you know, but, but as I had said, you know, I, it wasn't my intention to really confront them on these issues. I, I'm, right. I'm more interested in, in showing, um, well, people, I'm who, people who don't think like them, you know, so let's say maybe moderate Republicans, right. the views of the people that they're in bed with.
4: You know, I, I had a really bizarre experience. Uh, we're talking with Michael Shea. He's the director of a new documentary, Red State, redstatethemovie.com, the website for information about it. It'll be showing this Friday in Eugene at the, uh, at the where did to go here? The Eugene High School Auditorium. I'll be there, in fact. Uh, are you going to be there as well, Michael?
3: Um, I'm still trying to make it. I have screenings in Chicago the next day and some uh, okay. the prior day, so I'm, I'm trying to work out my schedule. Okay.
4: Uh, in any case, I'll be there at uh, six o'clock to say hi, and we'll be doing a book signing as well. And uh, the the experience that I had was uh, my father died a couple months ago, and we went up to uh, Charlevoix, Michigan. This little town up in northern Michigan, um, a uh, it's on Lake Michigan. It's a fairly wealthy community actually for Michigan, and where my mother grew up, and where the family you know graveyard is for the funeral. And we were staying in in you know a hotel that was you know just your kind of generic uh, in the in the morning you can go down and get donuts and coffee in the lobby and there's the TV sitting there kind of thing you know hotel mm-hmm. and you know one of these it was a local version of a comfort inn kind of thing only it was not a chain a uh, few of those left in the country and and we're sitting there and uh, the the morning tv was on and it was the local tv affiliate i mean they 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 weren't pulling this off cable this was off the local tv station and it was one of the big 3 networks and it was the morning show you know like the whatever they whatever you know the today show or whatever and and we're sitting there having coffee and there's a bunch of people sitting around uh most of them you know local or michigan Michiganders, and the the network show ends and Pat Robertson's 400 club or 700 club comes on on the the local network station right and he starts talking about the, the evil liberals and how the liberals are trying to destroy America and i'm looking around the room and there's all these people these just like average american Folks that I grew I grew up with folks like this in Michigan. I mean, you know, you know farmers and 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 well, just I mean, just just you know, and, and most of them in their in their 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, nodding their heads and watching it intently, intently. I mean, I'm sitting here horrified by this thing, and is is this the source? I mean, not not to pin it all on Pat Robertson, although the guy's got a billion dollars in a major media empire. But what is the source of the indoctrination that these people have gone through that they think that these two narrow issues that will probably never impact their lives, abortion and gay marriage, are the crux of morality in America and foreign wars and, and homeless people and disease and inability to get health care, which may well impact their lives and in fact probably do impact most of their lives, are not moral issues or not, not moral issues worthy of political attention. How did they become so indoctrinated?
3: Well, you know, that's a great question. I mean, one of the first interviews I did was with a gentleman. And, I asked, and he had told me he was a registered Democrat. And uh, he, he, I asked him, you know, why he didn't vote Democrat anymore. And he said that they were too liberal for him. And I asked him, you know, why? Can you give me some examples? And, and he couldn't. And the fact is that he listens to Russell Limbaugh every day. You know, and, and as you just said, you know, the 700 Club. I mean, the, the, the other side has, has been orchest- an orchestrated effort. To demonize the term liberal, and um, they've been great, very successful in it. One of the things I think the movie does very well is um, is show the organization of this. You know, the James Dobson and the Family Research Council and 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 these folks are very well organized. Very.
4: Yeah, James Dobson's on twelve hundred radio stations.
3: Absolutely. And, I mean, and, he
4: makes Rush Limbaugh
5: look like a piker.
3: We we attended Justice Sunday, and. You know, and it's in the film where, where all these people are making speeches in the church telling people to call their senators. Um, and, you know, and there were people, it was being beamed around the country. And yet
4: there's a church in Pasadena that's being prosecuted by the IRS because its minister uh, preached about peace.
3: It, it, exactly. Which, um, I,
4: as I recall, was Jesus' main message.
3: But this is, you know, this is a, a, an important point, is when when I was traveling, I'd meet people who were young, smart, motivated... And you know, good lawyers who who were giving up riches on you know on big law firms to work for these organizations. And you know, they these folks are very motivated, very organized, very dedicated. And you know, the other side, we need to you know come up with a response.
4: Yeah, Um, Sinclair Lewis in his book, It Can't Happen Here, back in 1930, whatever it was, 32, I think, pointed out that when fascism comes to America, it's going to be wearing a coonskin cap have an apple pie in one hand and an American flag in the other and talking about family values. That was the phrase that was used in the in the book.
1: We have one of the people who was uh, one of the fundamental—that's a funny word to use there—people uh, involved in the Christian Right organization. Now he's uh, come over to the other side, in a matter of speaking. He is the author of "Religion Gone Bad: The Hidden Dangers of the Christian Right." Mel White now joins us on the Young Turks. Hi, Mel. Welcome to the show.
6: Thanks.
1: First, work worked with uh, the likes of, I almost said Oscar Robertson, though that would have been a lot of fun. Uh, Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell, uh, tell us in what context you work with some of these top uh, radical right Christian leaders in America.
6: I was a ghostwriter. Um, my agent was Swifty Irvin Lazar. I had a doctorate in religion, so he sold me out to various religious leaders from Billy Graham to Ollie North, Um, at that time I thought that my own homosexuality was a sickness and a sin, so it wasn't that hard to work with them.
1: Uh, I see. And uh, at some point you realized that you weren't sick, that you were just a regular human
5: being. And that Oliver North was sick. (laughs) Right, exactly. (laughs) That's
6: the truth. Now,
1: at the time, did they know you were homosexual or no?
6: No, um, they might have, but the the whole institution, uh, the whole right wing operates as the military does, don't ask, don't tell. Can you imagine what would happen if all the gay organists quit playing one Sunday morning? I mean, (laughs) they have to keep this. um, uh, Jerry told me once, Jerry Falwell said, you know, I have a man high in my office in terms of our organization, and he's lived with a man for 20 years. If he doesn't get me into trouble, I'm not going to get him into trouble. So it's a kind of double standard that they live by.
1: That's interesting. Now, when you were on the inside, and the, uh, did they confide in you some of the things that they don't say in public? Can can you share some of those uh, with us? Uh, and and who said them?
6: Oh yeah. The, the the interesting and ironic thing is that the most crippling things they say they say in public. Um, they don't they don't have a lot of secrets in the sense that they want to make this a Christian nation. They want to superimpose their biblical views on the Constitution, you know. They want to to end the separation of church and state. They want gays to be disenfranchised and deny, denied all their rights. I mean... The the most troublesome things they're saying, they're saying out loud and winning elections by saying
5: them out loud. Uh, Mel White, when when they talk to you about wanting to end the separation of church and state, I mean, they, they, they paint themselves as, you know, America firsters, loving America, patriots, their heart beats red, white, and blue. When they talk about separating church and state, how do they frame that?
6: Well, they see that the whole concept is a myth because those words aren't in the Constitution and And, and, and I think that I hear in your tone of voice the the, the the notion that they're kind of phony, that they're doing this for the money or for the power or or, or something. In fact, you know, I've written their autobiographies.'ve I've lived with these guys. I know them. They are sincere. And until we really see them as as true believers, we're in real trouble. So when they talk about separation of church and state, they mean that the fundamentalist Christians that they are should have power over church and state, and that stop sign, the separation of church and state, is keeping them from it.
5: So they, I, I see that, but you know and i don't I don't deny the genuineness with which they approach they approach religion and that religion informs the lives they lead uh but there is something inherently phony about hypocrisy, and I find them to be completely hypocritical on so many levels, this being one of them that's that's all
6: well hypocritical is is interesting they they have mastered hypocrisy i i mean they're so good at it. Yeah, but at the same time, you know, they really mean it. That's the irony. You know, Colonel North shredded documents and lied and cheated and stole because he felt like he had a calling to save the nation, and so these um, means are constantly justified by the ends. And that's what's scary.
1: We're talking to Mel White. He's author of Religion Gone Bad, The Hidden Dangers of the Christian Right. He was uh, in the inside, if you will, with uh, such figures as Jerry Falwell, Pat Robertson, Billy Graham, uh, these religious leaders, and he wrote for them. So he knows exactly what they're thinking. So uh, that's why one of the reasons we have you on, Mel, and I, I wanted to ask you about that. Now, you said they're genuine in their beliefs, but... That's something I could never square logically, and I, maybe they're just uh, are missing the logic gene. But uh, when you read the Bible, uh, it is not; uh, it cannot be read literally. It talks about how you will be suffer eternal damnation if you eat shrimp or lobster, if you mix uh, polyester with wool. Uh, God is going to uh, have you suffer eternal damnation. So, does Pat Robertson, Jerry Falwell, and the like do they actually believe that or? Are they not or are they not really uh, are they not really literalists, and they just pick and choose which parts of the Bible and pro- particularly the hateful parts of the Bible they want to adhere to
6: yeah I think they 're very sincere about calling it the literal Bible, but it's, it's, it makes me crazy because no one can read it literally we haven 't had the autographs or the originals we don 't know what has happened over the centuries in translation so so what they 're saying basically is. What we believe about the Bible, you ought to take literally.
1: So, but how do they internally justify it? Has anyone ever asked them in person, hey, are we all going to go to hell if we eat shrimp? And what I mean, it's literally in the Bible, so what do you say about that?
6: You know, the constructionists, R.G. Rush Dooney, D. James Kennedy, and these guys believe that all of those Levitical codes in the Hebrew Testament should be taken literally. Not only should gays be um, sacrificed, be killed, but kids who sass their parents should be killed, and, and men who have sex with their wives and their menstruating should be killed. So there are those who are literalists all the way. One of our worst enemies, Fred Phelps, is a literalist all the way. But, but for the most part, they are, they are selective literalists, like you say, and they take what is important to them, and they just kind of ignore the rest. You can't reason these people out of anything, because they didn't reason themselves into anything. And and so what's complicated for me is to, when empirical data doesn't count, when, when making common sense doesn't work, what do we do to get through to them?
1: Uh, well, uh, not much, but uh, hopefully we get uh, others to believe that they're crazy and move on and let them rant in their own corner. But someone who uh, is not usually camped in the group of Pat Robertson and Jerry Falwell is Billy Graham. This is someone that uh, a lot of people have tremendous respect for. Newsweek would like to do a cover story on him every day if they you gave him an opportunity. Uh, now, I don't believe it, uh, but I wasn't on the inside. You were. Uh, is Billy Graham a selective literalist like the rest of them? And does he? not.
6: Billy Graham is the last of the real evangelicals. Billy Graham believes that the Bible is trustworthy in faith and practice. He does not take it literally. He condemns the word literal. He says nobody can take it literally. Fundamentalists think that Jesus is the only way. Billy Graham says, now wait a minute, Jesus is the only way for me, but he may not be the only way for you. You know, Billy Graham is a man who is reasonable about these things, His son, though, is another of the fundamentalist right-wing folks, and so I'm afraid that with Billy's death we're not going to have a spokesman for real evangelical Christianity left.
5: Just clear it up that Billy Graham has not died. We're just, no. No. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> no, no.
6: Well, you know,
1: it's I don't know what's happening in the American genetic pool, but the sun seem to keep coming out much worse than the dads. Uh <laughs> I voted for George H. W. Bush and
6: Yeah, that comes to mind.
1: Yeah, and uh and believe me I didn't make the mistake of voting for his son. Now uh I I wanna ask you one other thing. You said they're very genuine about this and they actually believe it. Pat Robertson comes to mind as someone who I can't really quite believe that about. And we're talking to Mel White. He uh, was a person who was in on the inside uh, with a lot of these Christian right uh, major figures. He wrote for them. He wrote some of their autobiographies. Now he's written his own book, Religion Gone Bad, The Hidden Dangers of the Christian Right. Um so I want to ask you about Robertson in specific. Now, Robertson has diamond mines in Africa, and he uh, uh, takes people's money and says, oh, I'm going to buy helicopters to help uh, Rwandans uh, in trouble. He uses it once there, and then the rest of the time use uses it for his diamond mines. Now, that can't possibly genuinely be a belief that Jesus Christ wants him to do that.
6: Well, when his own pilots and the crew of Operation Blessing, the plane that they bought, said, we've made 24 trips to Africa and 23 of them have been to do diamond mining things and only one of them to to bring health to the people, Pat just simply went on the air and said, yes, and all the money we're making is going to go to the kingdom work and therefore justifies all of that with the people who are his followers.
1: Now, I understand that that's how he tricks the people that follow him, but does he inside, internally, in your estimation, now you met the man, you work with the man, Does he is he crazy enough to believe that that's actually true and that he actually cures people of deadly diseases over the television set? Or does he think, God, the people who watch me and listen to me are the stupidest people alive and I love taking their money?
6: Oh, never that. I, I, quite frankly, I have to tell you that. Never that. He... You know, he has a doctor of jurisprudence from Yale. He, his father was a senior senator from Virginia for 20 years. He has smarts, and he has a lot of smarts, and he really believes that God is working through him to heal people. Um, it's you know, it's an old Christian tradition way back from the first century, and he feels like that, that tradition, that gift has been passed on to him. It doesn't make sense. There's no way to corroborate the evidence, and therefore it's easy for him to say somebody's goiter just shrunk in Tennessee but you know he gives people faith with that and in that way he has built a television audience and and a, and a te- you know a 150 60 million dollar a year business
1: Mel, you know I, I I love you and I and I and I'm glad you don't you're, believe me. I don't. I flat out don't. I don't believe that Pat Robertson can be that crazy or that stupid. I believe he knows exactly what he's doing and he loves making money from those diamond mines and from the suckers he takes money from. And I don't. I think he knows exactly what he's doing and he loves it. He's. I think he's one of the most evil men on on the planet right now.
6: Now that's two different things. You know, whether he's evil or not, we wouldn't disagree on. He is doing incredible evil. But but what does it gain us to talk about his motives? The fact is what he's doing is bad enough we should be talking about it, the lies that he tells, the political shenanigans he's playing, the power-grubbing that he is doing in the name of Jesus. Those things are all really dangerous, and to not take him as a sincere believer, to see him as a phony weakens our case and strengthens his, because we can We can easily write off a phony, but this phony was ran for president and is going to be running others for president in, in, in the next election.
5: And I think ran, ran for president and did quite well in the primaries, actually. Yeah, actually.
6: Yeah. And
1: I, I want to ask you about that as a final question, because we're running short on time, Mel. And uh, Mel White has written the book Religion Gone Bad, The Hidden Dangers of the Christian Right. Um, did, do you think that, again, you were on the inside there, do you think that there was a point where there was an active decision made by the religious leaders, we're going to support the Republican Party, and all the parts of the Bible that don't agree with the Republican Party, helping the poor, you know, immigrants, whatever it might be, we're going to completely ignore them, we're going to get into bed with these Republicans, and the parts that we think we can emphasize in the Bible We're going to uh, go with that just so that we can, you know, somehow gain power together with the Republicans. In in
6: 1973, um, I tell the history of this particular epoch of fundamentalism in America. And there was conscious effort right from the beginning, in the early 70s with Karl Rove and a, a lot of other names we could mention, to to do exactly what they're doing in terms of taking power over the denominations and over the country. They strategically did it. They believed it. They took over the Republican Party. We lived in Texas when they took over the Republican Party in that state precinct by precinct by precinct. These people are doing it fair and square. They're outdoing us progressives by organizing in such ways that we have never even considered. So, yes, 35 years they've been planning on doing this. And now they have succeeded. I'm afraid of what comes next if we don't start getting better at doing what they do best.
5: And that's, uh, that's saying it best right there. The book is called Religion Gone Bad, The Hidden Dangers of the Christian Right. It's author Mel White. was kind enough to join us on The Young Turks. Mel, good luck with the book, and thanks for joining us.
6: Anytime.
7: The weather Angie Cuero, you've seen the onslaught of religious-slash-political books on the shelves this season. It seems everyone wants to address the incredible influence of the religious right over politics as they are, as they should be, and as they will be in the next administration. One of those most recent books comes from a man of God himself. The Reverend Barry Lynn has written the book Piety and Politics, the Right-Wing Assault on Religious Freedom. This is not new territory for him. He is the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and States. Barry Lynn, welcome to the show.
8: Well it's nice to be here.
7: You know, this all started I think in most people's consciousness, started with Jim Wallace's book where he came out and talked about God is neither a Democrat nor a Republican and dissected what the religious right impact has been on politics. What do you think has, has started this this onslaught of books?
8: Well, I do think that more people are starting to wonder, how do you talk about issues of values without necessarily quoting the Bible? Now, Jim Wallace and I have known each other for a long time. Uh, I think a lot of politicians, properly or otherwise, uh, interpreted his book as saying, well, we've got to quote scripture, too, because if we're progressives, we have to prove that we know the Bible as well as the conservatives say they know the Bible. That is, frankly, not the best way to resolve questions in a constitutional democracy like the United States in a secular government. We do bring values to the table. We ought to talk about those values. But I don't think that Democrats or progressive Republicans ought to run away from saying the values that matter for making day-to-day policy decisions are the values of the Constitution itself, commonly shared, not driven by anyone's particular sacred text, not even the Christian Bible.
7: You have a very personal approach to some of the high-profile ministers that the public sees that for some people, unfortunately, they've become the category of Christians. There's, a, there's just a, a wide brush, and they say, okay, this is the Christian right, and, and everybody gets uh, painted with the same brush. And those would be Falwell, Robertson, and their ilk. They don't like you.
8: No, they don't. I think Jerry Falwell, frankly, doesn't like me more than Pat Robertson doesn't like me. Pat Robertson at least invited me to uh, the 25th anniversary big fundraising debate. It was Nadine Strassen from the ACLU and Alan Dershowitz and myself in what they called the clash of the titans down at his region university, the titans on the other side being Jay Sekulow and uh, Rush Limbaugh's younger and, I might say, brighter brother. And then the ever-lovable Ann Coulter. So, I mean, he has had me down to his institution to talk about these issues. We do talk sometimes on the phone. We do exchange letters about issues. Jerry Falwell once said to me, though, that uh, when I volunteered on national television with him to come down and preach in his church, all of his services, he does five every Sunday, uh, he told me that he wouldn't want me to preach even on a corner. So, uh, suggested that perhaps he didn't think I have the theological acumen to go and speak to his own people. So there is a varied and different reaction. And I I I do warn people, sometimes you really do make a difference by talking at a one-to-one human level with the people you most disagree with, but sometimes it does fail. And we have to learn, kind of as progressives at least, when to just say this isn't getting anywhere or when we are moving toward creative solutions in the middle.
7: I'm talking to the Reverend Barry Lynn, the author of Piety and Politics, The Right-Wing Assault on Religious Freedom. It's on the shelves now from Harmony Books. Barry Lynn, we hear the argument from the Christian right that we have been established as a Christian country, and and you in your book you define why, of course, that is not so. We also hear other arguments from the right, and in total It's hard to tell whether they're being intentionally dishonest for their political means or if they are, in fact, deluded, if this is something they genuinely believe. What's your take on that?
8: Well, you know, it's possible to be deluded and be misleading at the same time, and sometimes they are both. Frankly, a lot of the research literally has led to phony quotations from people like James Madison and Thomas Jefferson that get repeated endlessly, through the channels of the religious right on their radio and television programs and the print press And people start to believe it's true, but this was in no way founded as a Christian nation. We know that because the early Treaty of Tripoli with the Islamic nations uh, at the beginning of our history said those words, this was in no way founded as a Christian nation. Unfortunately, those who would like to Christianize every American, whether he or she wants it or not, uh, literally ignore our history or use bogus history to try to make their argument that today we should move in the direction Direction of religion, not the Constitution, guiding policy decisions.
7: So, so the right actually deliberately misleads or deliberately misinterprets the words of the Founding Fathers to bolster their view of a Christian nation?
8: Yeah, there's no question. For example, for a long time they were circulating a quote that said uh, from Thomas Jefferson that there is a wall of separation between church and state, but it is only in one direction to protect the church. Well, I mean, it's an interesting idea. It fits completely into their ideological uh, thinking, but it's completely fabricated. They do this with Madison quotes. They do this with quotes from other of the framers of our Constitution in order to build from a bold-faced lie a more theocratic agenda for the 21st century.
7: What has the effect been on the marriage between the political and religious rights with the fully hastert mess?
8: Uh, Frankly, the religious right is terribly embarrassed over the Page scandal because they just don't know how to deal with it. Of course, uh, one of the worst things that was said was when the head of the Family Research Council, Tony Perkins, former Louisiana legislator who's now a lobbyist here, uh, actually said that this whole scandal just proved that all gay people are predatory. And, of course, that's not the case, and that's one of the many damnable lies that is told by the religious right. That was the only thing he could do. He didn't know how to uh, confront the fact that these were the so-called values parties' leaders uh, caught uh, in the most unsavory of activities, that is, either covering up for or directly stalking young people for sexual advances. It had nothing to do with being gay, it had everything to do with having power and abusing it. But the right just cannot get their act together to criticize the Republican leadership because they're afraid of losing it, which means they'll lose their dinner invitations. They'll lose the power that they have by having control of both houses of Congress, the White House, and at least four and a half of the nine members of the Supreme Court.
7: For those of us who approach the coming election and want to take some power back from the religious and political right, what are our coping mechanisms there? How do we do that?
8: Well, the most important thing right now is to make sure that the churches in your area do not become deeply politicized, become cogs in a Republican Party political machine, which is unfortunately what groups like the Christian Coalition, the Pat Robertson organization or Focus on the Families, various state associated groups are doing. Sometimes you'll find just a week or so before the election that some churches are passing out these so called voter guides sometimes they're legitimate usually they're not usually they make every democrat look like a demonic figure who belongs in the house of horrors wax museum in new jersey and then every republican look like a candidate for sainthood they they distort the records of candidates if necessary in order to give that clear difference and encourage churchgoers to vote for one party over another that's illegal if you see that happening in your community uh, groups like americans united for separation of church and state would be happy to help you figure out how to file or to help you file a complaint with the internal revenue service which could lead and sometimes does lead to a revocation of the tax exemption uh... for churches that go over the line that's one thing to do the other thing to do is to insist that all politicians talk about these issues Get straight, where they see the role of religion in making policy decisions about reproductive choice, in making policy decisions about gay and lesbian rights, in making policy decisions about what kind of country we will become.
7: Reverend Barry Lynn is executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. He has his own syndicated radio show, Culture Shocks. You can listen to that at cultureshocks.com. Barry Lynn, thank you so much.
8: Thank you.
9: You know, I'm a good Christian Catholic girl. Mm-hmm. I grew up Christian no matter how late. I stay out on Saturday night. I'm always at church at 9 a.m. And I am Republican. Is that what it takes and- to be a good Christian these days? <laughs> You know, you just have to wear the cross and then everything's fine. That's what I understand. No, no. (laughs) No, no, it's fine. Um, so I've always voted Republican because it seems they always preach about saying that they they vote and they live by a set of code of morality. You know, don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat, don't don't do anything, but you know, this year with the election coming up so fast, I'm, I'm really puzzled as to whom I'm supposed to be voting for. I think I've become a sling voter, to be completely honest, because how can I vote for someone who not only lies, an entire party that's lying, that's not only to the country, though, but to themselves? It's, it's, really, it's really frightening. And I'll take my comments off the air, and thank you so much.
10: Well, Jessica, let me ask you one question. Sure, though. sure, sure. sure. Now, now, so when you say you're a conservative, what does that mean? <laughs>
9: Um, I believe that family, faith, and security are the most important things to our nation, you know, that we should be living the way, you know, and not, not about religion, you know, because a lot of people get hung up on religion, so I'm not saying specifically Jesus Christ, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm just saying that in the world that we live, we should be living by a morality of don't steal, don't cheat, don't lie, honor your parents, honor your family, honor your country, die for your country, support your country. The country is the most important thing that we have to live for. Our flag. And
10: now, now I mean? when you say uh, the most important thing that we have to live for is our flag, you don't mean no, no, the no, flag no, per no. se. <laughs> you mean, no, I don't mean you mean what? It, no, no. I, I'm no. just trying to get to the heart of this because what you really mean is the the American values, uh, yes, things, course, like, things like things yes. like liberty. Things yeah, like uh, civil rights.
9: Freedom. Well, civil rights are, are a lot more important to me than anything else,
10: and, obviously. And, and presumably also, I mean, I, th- I would think as, as, a, uh, as a religious person, but even if you're not religious, uh, but uh, whatever informs this code for you is that you feel that we should be helping others around us and that we are only as strong as the weakest amongst us.
9: Oh, that's beautiful. That's exactly
10: what I'm saying. That's beautiful, yes. Now, you see, now, Jessica, now, I'm confused, okay? Because, I
9: know, I'm confused, too. Well,
10: <laughs> no, but I'm confused as to how it was that you began to vote Republican, because, listen, you know, what the the conservative ideology has always been about. Now, I hear what you're saying in terms of we, we should honor our families, and, and to me, these are personal uh, uh, morals, and, and we would want our, our leaders to reflect those morals. And it is clear now, I think, that uh, at the very least, we can say without even a shred of hesitation, that certainly being a Republican, putting an R at the end of your name, certainly guarantees that no more than putting a D at the end of your name. Now, the real issue here is is that what policies do these different parties represent that are more closely aligned with this notion of helping out the least amongst us?
9: You know, okay, so besides the whole security thing, which the Republicans keep on saying that, you know, the Democrats, they're not big on security, but I think it's in church, to be completely honest with you. You know, you hear your pastor every single Sunday. You know, even in Sunday school, you hear your pastor, and they're always saying that... It's really sad, but they, they, they talk politics every single Sunday, you know, and then you have your little church social afterwards with your coffee and your donuts, and everyone talks about how the Democrats are evil, and I think they're, they just – you know, I'm only 22. I'm I'm young, very young, and I believe that they're just raising us maybe to to be hateful against the other party because church is the place that we're supposed to hear things from, you know, that are true, from God, that are right and i think maybe it's brainwashing maybe it is but well, oh
10: jessica i got to say i think you're on to something here because i think the thing that you know uh, that uh, you know people who and and i am uh, I, i'm not I, I'm fairly religious myself. I mean, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm Jewish, but I don't, uh, But you know, and I observe uh, the high holidays, and I don't come to work, and I, uh, I practice my religion. But the issue here is, how much faith do you put into the ma- the word of man, i.e., your pastor, your rabbi, whoever it is, and how much faith do you put into yourself what has been given to you by God? And I think one thing that you're going to want to read, Jessica, because you clearly are on the path to a, uh, to a certain enlightenment. It is not about uh, calling yourself a conservative or a liberal or any of these things. It is simply looking at these two parties, seeing, and not even the question of the parties, because it really isn't necessarily a function of them. It is your representatives. What do they do? Not what do they say. But what do they do? And if you look at the policies, and certainly I, I would be the first person to say that, that uh, there is a large part of the Democratic Party, uh, at least a third, that does not necessarily represent the notion that we are only as strong as the weakest amongst us. But I think you'll find, if you read this book, David Quo, which is coming out uh, any day now, called Tempting Faith, he was the, uh, the number one guy at the Office of Faith-Based Initiatives. And he will uh, outline for you, I think it's going to be disturbing, we'll talk about it later on this program today. Uh, Uh, That, uh, but frankly, the Bush administration, the Republican Party, has wooed church leaders, and many of them, uh, you know, there are are many, many church leaders who are certainly, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, take their cues from uh, what the tenets of their religion are, but there are many others who are looking uh, to maintain power just like anybody else. And uh certainly, even Jesus taught that the that the at the day that he turned the uh, money changers out that it's certainly capable uh, uh, possible for uh church leaders for religious leaders uh to be corrupt and to maintain their own power now, if we're to believe this David quo who left the office of faith based initiatives because he felt that the Republican Party and the Bush administration was not just paying lip service but behind their backs. We're saying things about the followers of uh, in religious people that uh, were not too nice. I will read this. But I think, listen, you. I think, Jessica, what you have to do is you have to look at the policies of the people that you're looking to vote for. And you have to ask yourself, you know, a guy like Russ Feingold, for instance, he is out there. He is one of the most principled uh, guys when he talks about American values. He is is, as true blue as they get. And you have to look and see, not just a question of what they say about their personal morals, but what do they do in their position of government that helps uh, further the goals of helping the least amongst us, helping those who who, who are in need. And certainly, I think if you look historically and you look at the policies that um, the Democrats at least espouse right now, and are, you know, and it remains to be seen if they'll put them in place, and certainly I will be here arguing that they should put these policies in place, but that is what uh, the foundations of the Democratic Party are. It's, to, it's, it's basically saying we are organized as a society for a reason, and that reason is to help all of us. And it's not about, uh, as Rush Limbaugh says, you know, it's every man for himself. And it's, uh, you know, uh, pull yourself by your bootstraps. I mean, certainly everyone should be working towards a cause. But uh, the fact of the matter is, is that there are some people who are less fortunate than others. And uh, in, in, in many different ways. And we are only as strong... As the weakest amongst us, and I think if you look closely at the policies that each uh, party uh, espouses, you will see a difference there, and you will uh, come to understand uh, how you should be oriented. But uh, just guy, I appreciate the call very much, uh, and uh, good for you, good for you for having the capacity at such a young age to question what you has been drummed into your head. Let's go to Kathy in Orlando, Florida. Welcome to the program, Kathy.
11: Hey, good morning, Sam. Good morning, Kathy. I was just listening to um, the conversation you were just having. I'm uh, the, the uh, Administrator Christian Ed for Presbyterian Church, mm-hmm. and I'm also a Greek Orthodox. And i got to tell you, I'm a bleeding-hot liberal because I am a Christian. Do tell. And this is all driving me nuts every time I read about, you know, what they say, claiming morality and the high road and everything else. That's not what Christ was all about.
10: Well, I mean, I think you got to be encouraged by uh, that last caller, Jessica, because here she is. She's beginning to realize that um, that the uh, that what she's being told and the lines that she's being fed about demonizing Democrats and uh, about the the false morality that these Republicans espouse, I, I think that has to be encouraging to you because I think you know I mean, it, it is. When I hear from someone like Jessica who says that despite all I've heard, I'm starting to allow outside information. And myself rely on myself to make this determination uh it, it, that's encouraging
11: that that is encouraging but it's it's the um you know the the level of the brainwashing that has gone on I mean I never hear them quote scripture from the New Testament or anything that Christ said, anything that Christ stood for and it's really really just aggravating because they're turning people away from the the true Christian doctrine.
10: Well, you know, there's a lot of people, uh, Kathy, and I appreciate the call. There's a lot of people who say that this attempt by the um, fundamentalist right to inject their specific, narrow um, uh, set of, uh, of, of what I would argue a bastardized Christianity on, uh, on, the, uh, on the country is actually doing as much harm to uh, their religion as it is to the country.
1: We start with a story where I glow. Oh, shocking! Oh, how did that happen? <laughs> I choose this one. All right, now it's just a small story. We're gonna get beyond it soon. But re- yesterday we talked about uh, religion, and you know I went over the top as I usually do, and then I was brought back down, and and then I have a new slogan, by the way, Ben. Uh-huh. I think you'll enjoy this.
2: Yeah, I love slogans. Uh,
1: faith over dogma. There, I said it.
2: All right, that's good. That's <laughs> See, because
1: there I'm saying faith is okay. I'm totally fine with it. Faith over dogma. Dogma, I don't love the word. I might change that word later. So right, but I, I, I get what you had
2: I don't like the word dogma in a negative connotation because I enjoy uh, both dogs and my mother. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, I've always thought dogma was a curious word. That There's going to be a change in the slogan later.
2: But faith over fanaticism?
1: That 's too easy. I mean, mm-hmm. nobody wants to be a fanatic, but maybe faith over fundamentalists i don't, we'll work on it no. we'll work on it coming up later in 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 this show's uh, rich history and future, actually. Okay, so today, so yesterday I said, just give me two generations and I'll knock down all of religion. And everybody went nuts. Now, it's not, I don't mean I, I mean everybody, right? The the culture is getting beyond it. And I used Europe as an example. I don't remember if that was, honestly, if that was on air or off air. Uh, and then somebody, you know, wrote in, one of the listeners, oh, actually a lot of listeners wrote in about that. One of them was, and you, by the way, you can also write in anytime you want at com. that's our website. One of them wrote in and said, oh, you know, Voltaire predicted that religion won't last long. Nietzsche said God is dead, and then God said Nietzsche is dead. <laughs> I love that, by the way. I mock it, but it's actually I think that's very cute. Uh, nonetheless, and he's, oh, Jenk predicts this, and it won't happen. Today's New York Times. Pick it up this morning. Go ahead, check it out for yourself. Evangelicals fear the loss of their teenagers. Go ahead, you tell me what I told you. It, it says in the World War II, um, 65% of the country is uh, born-again evangelicals. That's what they say. Um. Really? Yeah. Uh, look, I'm surprised by it as well. I'm surprised by the whole article, to be honest with you. They say in this j- current generation, it's 35%.
2: 35% of all Americans? Or of teenagers? all Americans. Okay, all
1: right. Okay. Um, And then the next generation, it's only going to be 4%. Hmm. Isn't
2: that interesting? Yeah, I mean, it seems. It's a wonderful article. I love that. Uh, I hope it is. You know, it seems so inconsistent with. You know, look. Just the perception is that it's growing, but of course, it's not necessarily growing. They're just, uh, they've just uh, uh, seized political power in a way that they hadn't before.
1: So, no, you're exactly right, Ben. And so, what I think is happening is they're they're peaking, if you will. You know, like, like oil, like like oil, like Al Pacino in Devil's Advocate. I'm peaking. The 20th century's been all mine. Okay. so. Not a lot of people get that reference. Nonetheless. Sucked. Uh, <laughs> that movie was excellent at the end. That one great thing. <laughs> anyway, uh a classic over acting yeah. by Al Pacino. Yes, I loved definitely. it. I loved it. Anyway, so you know what? Like it happened in Europe, it is happening here. People are there's two things that are happening. One, as you mentioned Ben, yesterday on the show's education, of course. When people get educated, they realize that it's not really possible that women were created by the rib of a man living in well, the Garden of Eden. it's a little strong to say
2: not. It's unlikely.
1: <laughs> unlikely. Right right. right, 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 right. The other part of it actually is <laughs> not anything highbrow at all. It's the culture. It's wearing them down. It's wearing them down. And that's why they're fighting so aggressively and vigorously now.
2: Right, but they can't Because compete. they're they
1: can't. holding on for dear
2: life. But they can't compete. No, oh, no, no. Britney Spears is kicking their ass. Britney Spears, right. Britney Spears, the internet. For Paris God. Hilton, all it's over. Inf- You know what's kicking their ass? Uh-huh. Information. Yeah. The- no, because faced with a deluge of information, kids go, nah, I could go to the, the,
1: the nice fairy tales that are being told here or perhaps I could go with a lot of fun over here.
2: Right, or I could watch HBO. Yeah. I mean, that's basically
1: Or I could turn on the Internet and get everything I want. One more little absurd dichotomy of our FCC rules these days is, on the radio, for example, we can't read you all the Mark Foley emails, even though it's okay, I guess, for a Republican congressman to write those emails to underage kids, although, of course, it's not okay. But anyway, so but we can't read that to you on the radio. But we can easily say read the whole thing for yourself at the youngturks.com. Yeah. So then you go on, it's even easier than listening to the radio, but you type it in and there it is. So how does that make
2: sense? It doesn't make sense, and of course ultimately that will all change. It may be some time from now, but it will change.
1: All right. Last thing for you.
2: 4%. That's all I'm saying. 4%. Well, I guess you were right. I <laughs> see. Just that simple.
12: Yes, my name is Bob, and I'm responding to a statement that was said on best of the left concerning Jews. Um, my undergraduate degree, many, many, many years ago, was in Judaic studies, and I studied under a, um, a professor who taught me a lot about Judaism and, and Christianity, the relationship between the two. And I'll tell you, there's a, uh, it's been a 2,000-year history of what has been called anti-Judaism, that is, Christian prejudice against Jews. And that Christian prejudice turned into secular prejudice when the church no longer ruled, when we moved into a secular state. And so anti-Judaism became anti-Semitism, and you have then the Protocols of the Elders of Zion, which is written at the latter part of the 19th century, which you alluded to when you talked about the Jews controlling banks, uh, media, etc., and that kind of thinking continues to this day, and I see it in the pulpit, I see it, I'm a pastor by the way, I see it from the pulpit, I see it uh, in the news media, I've seen it as propaganda in the Middle East. Um, it's a kind of prejudice that has uh, was first perpetuated by the church against Jews because it was a theological debate between the two, and then moved into a cultural kind of uh, uh, prejudice which caused untold suffering to the Jewish people. Um, So I'd like to talk more about this with you, uh, and you might want to present this on your podcast um, as a point of dialogue. Thank you very much. Bye.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much for the comment on that, Bob. I love that this conversation is still going on, especially over at the the message board. It's still going strong for sure, and it it actually shifted a little bit to uh, discuss more about why... United States supports Israel so much specifically and of course there are lots of reasons but the one that I'm most fascinated with is uh, the sect in America that it's these um, these end-of-days brand Christians who are just waiting for the rapture to come and so it's you know they're they're supporting Israel trying to get all the Jews to go to Israel and, uh, and make sure they survive there, basically is the largest human sacrifice in the history of the world. You know, they're, uh, they gotta gather them all up in one place so their kind and benevolent god can come down, uh, demand that they all convert, and, uh, and those who don't will all be instantly slaughtered, you know, all in one fell swoop. It's, it's a really nice story, and, uh, I enjoy that a lot. So, man, boy, there's a lot of messed up people in the world. I, to me, I don't know, is it just me? That's like the sickest thing I've ever heard of. It's kind of like Dick Cheney and his fake nature preserve where he goes hunting. You know, the big fenced-in place. It's you know stalked with a uh, pheasant with their wings clipped and whatnot, so he can just shoot birds in a barrel essentially. You know that that's God's gig. He can you know this way for the, when the rapture comes you can just go to Israel, do the deed and you know be home for lunch essentially cuz they're all in one place. On the other hand, if the rapture comes, God comes down and demands that you convert to Christianity. You know, I would say do it. You know, I um I don't believe in any of that stuff and that I mean that'd convince me. So, if you're uh, if you're really going to hold steadfast to your uh, beliefs, even when they're proven wrong to your face, yeah, I'd go ahead and uh, submit at that point. So, if you would like to chime in on this in any way you like, please do so. Either the message board, where the conversation is going strong, botlcommunity.com. You'll be able to find this under the, uh, the show questions, or the, what is it, show discussion questions, something like that. That's where this conversation is going on. Or you can do like Bob did, call the brand new comment line 206-984-3907 and let us know what you think and uh if you would convert to christianity if god came down and told you to to your face um well you're probably not really breaking any news there but you can tell us anyways have a good one everybody
11: the Shining Sheep The only maker that you want to meet A dying man in a living room The shadow bases the floor. Who'll take you out